This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is brought to you by Crossway. Do you long to understand the Bible in a deeper way? The ESV Study Bible was created by a diverse team of leading Bible scholars and teachers and features a wide array of study tools, including extensive study notes, topical theology articles, Bible character profiles, and more, making it a valuable resource for serious readers, students, and teachers of God's Word. Pick up a copy of the ESV Study Bible wherever Bibles are sold or visit crossway.org plus to find out how you can get 30% off. Welcome to the Gospel Coalition podcast, equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. On today's episode, you'll hear a message from Blair Lynn at TGC's 2022 Women's Conference. My name is Blair Lynn, and so for those who are here in person, and for those who are watching via live stream, I just want to welcome you. Uh, This is Finding My Father, How to Cling to Your Heavenly Father When Your Biological Father is Spiritually emotionally or physically absent. We're gonna start our time by praying. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity that we have to gather together uh, as your daughters, to gather together as sisters in the Lord. And I just pray for every woman under the sound of my voice, either here or also watching. I just pray, Father, that you would minister to us right where we are, You know the different stages of life that the women are in. You know the burdens that we are all carrying, Father. And I pray that you would minister to us about who you are as our Father so that we would heal any wounds that we have and that we would be the women that you have called us to be through Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want to ask you, what words would you use to describe how you personally feel about your earthly father? What words would you use, what adjective would you use to describe how you feel about your earthly father? And I want you to, if you just take a moment to jot down if some words come to mind as I share a bit of my story And I'm actually going to start by just reading the opening to my book, Finding My Father. The section of my birth certificate reserved for my father's name is blank. The inside of the narrow, barren, horizontal box has neither been strike through nor erased. It simply lies willfully untouched. 
So my birth certificate, like many others, tells by omission the story of a mother and father who were never married. This piece of paper was seldom referred to. It almost didn't exist at all because I almost did not. My mother, when she found out that she was pregnant with me, she was already a single mother. So she had my sister at 17 and it was, she was 21 years old. She found out that she was pregnant. And so she decided actually she was going to abort me. And by some circumstances that I communicate in the book, she changed her mind and decided she was going to place me for adoption. And then she changed her mind while in the hospital. She decided to keep me. And so she, like many single moms, uh, struggled. Life was really hard. Uh, months after, actually, she had me, she ran into my father. And she told him, you know, here's this baby, this is your child. And, you know, he began to try to be a part of my life then. I was told that I was introduced to his side of the family. Um, I know when I was around three years old, he would buy me big bags of candy he would bring uh, for myself and my sister. But then when I was around four, almost four years old, my mom moved us all the way from the Midwest to Los Angeles, California. And so it was hard. We were, I was 2,000 miles away from my father. And in that struggle that my mother had to care for us, we struggled with poverty. So we moved 25 times throughout my childhood. My dad never supported us financially. He never once came to visit me in Los Angeles. I would go and visit family in the Midwest and those were the times that I would see my father. When I was around eight or nine, I remember that we would have phone conversations here and there, maybe five to 10 minutes, maybe a couple times a year, if it was a good year. And so, you know, I struggled. I had a lot of voids as a result of his absence. I struggled with authority. So, you know, I mean, I respected my mom, right? But I didn't quite respect anyone else. I remember even on Father's Day, I often would write my mom a Father's Day card um, because I didn't have my father there. And the examples that I had around me in the neighborhood that I lived in, they were not very good ones. And I remember when I was 18, guys started approaching me, expressing interest, and I had no idea what to even look for in a man. My definition of a father was a mix of men I observed on television shows. And so I struggled with my worth, I struggled with my identity, I had doubts, uncertainties, and I remember even at nine years old, I knew this relationship, if you could call it that, was not what it should be. I wanted to communicate with my father the effect of his absence on me, but I was afraid. I mean, I didn't know him, but I thought if I share with him how his absence is affecting me, then, then maybe, the little bit of interaction I have with him will be gone. Maybe he'll get upset with me and he'll disappear altogether. So it wasn't until I was 18 years old that I mustered up the guts to have a conversation with my father. I was 18, again, these guys were approaching, saying they were interested, and I remember just wrestling with my identity. And before I got off the phone, I just blurted it out. I'm really struggling. I'm struggling with the fact that you're not here. 
I'm struggling that you've been absent my whole life. And I began to open up and share my fears with him. And actually what he shared with me, it really surprised me. It wasn't at all what I was expecting. Even though I viewed a dad as kind of like a superhero that would come in, you know, save in the day. But what my dad shared with me, he shared with me his own fears in that conversation. Fears I didn't know he had. He told me that he didn't have his father in his life and he didn't even know how to be a father. He told me that it was hard that my mom moved to the West Coast, that he wanted to be there, but the distance made it complicated. Now, I felt like he could have visited anyway, <laughs> but that's what he told me. He also struggled with addiction, so he had his own demons as well that he was fighting. And since that conversation at 18, my dad actually got his life kind of straightened out. He ended up getting married and really did try to make more of an effort to be there. And he's in my life currently. And it's not easy. I'm not saying we have this like, oh yeah, you know, we got this tight relationship, but he does try to be there. He's tried to build a relationship with my husband and my children. I mean, he walked me down the aisle. When you read my book, uh, you'll learn in 2019 and 2020, my entire story takes a turn, a turn I was not expecting. And I won't give it away, don't give it away if you've read it. Um, but you know, if you asked me as a child what my words were, I might've said, I felt abandoned, I felt unsupported, unloved, unwanted, if you asked me in 2019, I felt rage, I felt shame, fear, confusion. I felt deceived. I felt alone and I was angry. And I, I'm asking you to write down some of your words for those of you here in person and those watching because, you know, I think it's important for us to begin there. <laughs> Right, And I want to encourage you as you write down your words to do it without judgment. Do it being completely honest. No one is going to grade your words. And I know in a room like this that the words are going to be different, it, you know, depending upon the situation. So you might have a word like, I feel protected. I feel joy, pride, gratitude when I think about my father or like me, you might feel abandoned. Maybe you feel pain or shame or grief. Maybe you're exhausted. You feel distrust, hatred or contempt. Or maybe you feel numb, just indifferent, detached, calloused, paralyzed. We all have our words words which communicate our feelings, words which we often lock deep in our hearts never to escape. But I wanna encourage you today that God can handle our feelings, right? And the truth is what you're feeling in this room and you watching, it's probably what someone else is feeling in this room or watching. And until we allow what we feel on the outside, whether good or bad, to be brought to the light, we really won't know the extent to which fatherlessness has affected us. Because this, this is a topic that's rarely spoken about. I call it the elephant in the room. 
You know, we know it's a problem. We know one in four children right now live in a home without a father. And I'm not even saying just their biological father without a father, period. Not a stepfather, not a foster father, adoptive father. I think it's one of the most significant social problems facing us, and yet there's not this collective movement to shift the epidemic. However, God, God has spoken about it. And God demands the church do something about it. Life is really hard, right? In this world, we're going to have trouble. Our chapters unfold, and it totally can catch us off guard. Now, if I had a clue that this is how my story would play out, man, I would have been laughing like Sarah, like, what? (laughs) Because it's hard to reconcile our story It's just hard to reconcile at times, right? Sometimes we struggle with the father we desire to have versus the one we've been given. And what I want us to do is just to deal with what's before us. I want us to deal with what's true, even if it's hard. Because we can take those true, hard realities of what it means to live in a fallen world. We can take all of that to our heavenly father. I'm going to walk through that. If that's a challenge for you at this point to even think about God being your father. We'll walk through that. My story is about the physical absence of a father, primarily. But I know for others of you, you know, your father lived in the home with you, but you may be dealing with maybe the emotional absence or the spiritual absence of a father. Maybe your father was there, you know, but it's as though he wasn't there. And I know that the statistics don't address that, right? And, and you may have also dealt with something maybe even much worse than that is, is to have a father who's in the home, but maybe he's emotionally or physically or spiritually or sexually abusive. I have a friend who from the age of nine to 13, her father sexually abused her. Her father, right? The, the one who was supposed to protect her and care for her abused her. And at 13, he impregnated her, forced her to get an abortion. And then he denied it all as though it didn't happen. And we know one in five women have been sexually assaulted. Oftentimes we talk about sexual abuse, like, you know, we're trying to protect even our children from people way out there, like those pedophiles over there. But the reality is 93% of children who are victims of sexual abuse, they know the abuser. They're connected to the person. And some of us are, are carrying very hard truths that no one else knows about. And my prayer has been leading up to this conference and today is that we would begin to be set free. That if that's your circumstance and maybe no one knows about it but you and God, that the Lord would minister to you and you would be set free today. That today, all of us would begin a new journey. And I know that it's a process. I know it's not like, you know, everything just changes in one day. For some people, that's the case. They come to Christ and everything's like, wow, I was this person and I'm completely new and nothing's the same. But I think for most people, it's a process. I think it takes time, that sanctification process. And the time to know that we are not bound by the sinful choices of our fathers. 
You know, so it's not enough to just say, you know, fathers, get back to your home. I think, you know, this issue covers so much ground because a father can be in the home and he can cause more damage than if he were not in the home. So many of our fathers are lost. They don't know what a father is because they don't have a heavenly father or they abuse because maybe they've been abused. Our fathers need a savior. Our fathers need to know that there is a heavenly father who's given them a purpose and is going to hold them accountable for their sin. Unregenerate fathers, I think, are so used to following their human line, that human parent, Adam, when he sinned, that they've lost the truth of who they were actually made to imitate. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8 says, If anyone does not provide for their relatives and especially the members of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. A human father is to be a shadow. A human father, a male parent, made in the image of God, he is to be the head of his household. He is to work, to provide. He's responsible for training his children. He's not to provoke his children to wrath, but to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A father It should be the first man his daughter loves in purity. He's called to care for his family in a spirit of gentleness. He is to display and model what his daughter should look for in a man. And we see in scripture that the father is to also instill blessing and identity in their children. So fathers are to model, not perfectly, but faithfully model God the Father. And when a a father does not model the Father in heaven, it leaves room for the Father of lies to slither in. So we see with Adam's sin, it affects Cain's sin, right? And Adam's sin, it just runs down the genealogical line all the way down to us. Fathers are important. You know, I say in my book how I believe fathers are under attack. And I think we have believed the lie, you know, his lie, Satan's lie, that mothers matter, but fathers are dispensable. We don't really need them. And I think Satan knows if he can execute the man, several caskets will soon trail behind his. God has given men a particular role, an honorable role. Fathers matter. And if our father is lost, it affects us. It affects our identity. It affects how we interact with others. It affects how we see God. Here's another question I want you to write down and consider. What lies have you believed as a result of your earthly father's absence? What lies have you believed as a result of your earthly father's absence? I know there were times where I believed the lie that I needed to have a man's attention to feel special because I didn't have my dad's attention. And then there were other times I believed the lie, well, I don't need a man. I'm good. I was military, like, you know, militant in my singleness before I was married. Who needs a man, right? But singleness is a very beautiful thing when it's done in faith. I think it's a very ugly thing when it's done in fear. We are to walk by faith and be single. If you are just deciding to be single, to do that in faith, not in fear, because you're afraid of 
not having seen a man model to you. Or maybe we believe the lie that our value is in our performance, right? If we're really good, then maybe they'll stay. Maybe they won't abandon us if we're good enough. And so sometimes we look to, you know, place our worth in things, our looks, our education, the job that we have, our wealth, our works, that if I do these things, then they will stay. And that's a lie. Or maybe we have a distorted body image or, um, you know, chronic depression even as the result of lies we believed or, uh, you know, self-abuse, boundary confusion as a result of these lies that we have believed. It doesn't take long to realize that behind all of these lies is fear. I think fear is the unaddressed trauma fed to us by the father of lies when our father is absent. But fear has to do with punishment. Fear doesn't come from our heavenly father, right? It has to do with punishment, a punishment that actually has been satisfied. You know, the reality is we are all victims and rebels. And I say this, victims, because we have all been victimized by other people's sin, but rebels because we rebel against God with our own sin. Victimization is never an excuse for rebellion. You know, we're not responsible for what happened to us as children. We're not. We're not responsible for the choices our parents made. Our father's absence is not our fault. The fact that your father was absent, it was not your fault. It was not because of something you did. Because the reality is, we're not the center of our parents' choices. They made those choices on their own. And our parents made a choice that we can't change. They made a choice, and they're going to have to answer to God for that choice. But what we're responsible for, we're responsible for what we do with our pain as adults. What do we do with our pain? As hurtful as the decision your dad or mom made, you know, eventually, eventually we have to wake up one day and realize, you know, I'm an adult. I can't let these cycles of sin continue to be passed down to me. I have to choose not to be a victim, but to live victoriously. And I want to think about this victorious life, and I want to think about it in two categories, because I think we have to address the vertical and the horizontal, our heavenly father and our earthly father. And so I'm going to start with our heavenly father. You know, for many years, I started my prayers off with, what, our Father, right, which art in heaven? (laughs) But the idea of God being my Father, it really had not been reconciled in me because, you know, I felt God was distant day in and day out. So it's like, you know, we can know things theologically, but sometimes it's almost just, it's theoretical, you know, it's in theory, And it hasn't settled down in our hearts practically. You know, I knew humanity was born into sin, but I chose to run away from God. And I believe that there are at least two ways to run away from God. I think some, and even daughters who experience the absence of a father, they often can run away from God through immorality, 
right, or promiscuity. Uh, but there are others who run away from God through morality. And I gravitated towards that. Legalism, morality, self-righteousness, thinking that that would justify me before God. And when I realized that I was serving the father of lies by clinging to those things, I acknowledged God opened my eyes to help me see that. I acknowledge my need for a personal savior, that I needed a sacrificial lamb. I needed someone to come between me and God, my sinfulness and the holiness of God, so that I could be God's child. And I was born again. Praise be to God. However, even though I trusted Christ and I trusted his righteousness, I projected my spiritual experience with my earthly experience or onto my, my earthly experience, onto my spiritual experience. So I knew God saved me, but I kind of felt like he was just tolerating me. Like, yeah, okay, you just saved me, because that's what you do, you save people, and you know, it's not like anything special, it's not like you really care. Um, and I, I viewed God as a God who was a judge who pardoned my sin, but it took me a couple years to even start to grapple with the idea that he's a father, that he's a father who, who loves me, who lavishes love upon his children. I thought God didn't want to be near me because my earthly father didn't appear to want to be near me. And you know what changed for me was opening up the scripture. It was seeing God's character, not through my pain, but through his pledge, through his promises. And I began to see his faithfulness, and I began to see his consistency. And I'm like, whoa, this is different than my earthly father. This is different altogether. And it began to bless me. You know, we have, an, we have a testimony about who God is <laughs> right here in the Bible. And I think it's important for us to not look at the Father through the lens of our pain, but to look at who does God say he is? Why does he call himself Father? Why does he allow us to call him Father? You know, recently I've been in the book of Ephesians, and every book I study, I end up loving the book. <laughs> I'm just like, why didn't I study this sooner? Um, but, you know, the main themes of Ephesians is that we've been reconciled to God and we've been reconciled as Christians to one another. And the context of this book is you have Paul who's writing and he's writing to Gentiles, these believers. And this was a letter that would have been circulated to the church at Ephesus, but also other churches in that area as well. And so he's writing this letter and there's not a one particular issue that he's addressing in this letter, like a lot of his other, a lot of the other epistles but from the context of the letter, we get an idea of what was happening in that time. And I think it applies. <laughs> so in that time, there was ethnic hostility that was happening in the church. You had Jews and Gentiles, and there was beef, as we would call it, fighting and fighting. Um, and the issue was that you had some Jewish Christians who were telling the Gentiles, well, in order for you to truly be a Christian, you need to adopt some of our rules and laws and our Jewish traditions. And Paul is saying, no, you don't, <laughs> right? And, and Paul is in prison because he's preaching this gospel of grace. He's saying that, no, we're saved by grace through faith. 
and that causes him to be persecuted. And, and I appreciate this book so much. When you look at chapter one, how it begins, he, he starts to talk about the fact that he says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he walks through the fact that we are blessed, Christians, Jews and Gentiles, blessed in the beloved. And you know why I love it? Because it reminds me of the fatherly blessing. The fatherly blessing. It's like Paul is just speaking a fatherly blessing over us. And he's saying, do you know you've been blessed? Do you know that you've received the blessing of election? Do you know you received the blessing of adoption? that you've received the blessing of redemption, that you have the blessing of being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, that you have an inheritance, the blessing of receiving an inheritance. Some of us will never receive an inheritance from our earthly father, but we have one from our heavenly father, an inheritance. And we don't have time to go through the whole book, although I wish we could. So I want you to maybe get a chance to read it tonight if you get a chance to. I don't want to put the law on you and make you feel guilty. <laughs> but if you want to, read Ephesians. But I want to focus on the blessing of adoption. Um, and in, in chapter 1, and the end of verse 4, into verse 5, I love this phrase here. He says, in love, this is the ESV, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. That's it. In love, he predestined us for adoption. To, I'm sorry, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. And so we have here the blessing of adoption. We know that we have access to this adoption through God the Son, Jesus. And he says here that we're sons. And I love that in all of its masculinity. We're sons. Why do I love that term? Yes, we're daughters of God. But I love it because it connects to Jesus, right? The only begotten son. So you have God the father, right? Who was a father before Adam was a father, right? Who has given his only begotten son to us. And then we have the opportunity to be united to God through the son, right? And our sins through justification, remember, our sins were imputed onto Jesus. And his righteousness was imputed to us. We receive his righteousness by faith. I love this quote by Martin Luther. He says, Lord Jesus, you are my righteousness. I am your sin. You took on you what was mine, yet set on me what was yours. You became what you were not, that I might become what I was not. I love that. We have become what we were not. We're sons. We're daughters of God. And now everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. So we're not a slave. No, we're sons. We're heirs with Christ. Romans chapter 8. If you want, read Romans 8 too tonight. <laughs> it's so rich. And speaking of our adoption, it says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, 
in order that we may also be glorified with him. And I just love that. In Ephesians, when he talks about the motivator for us being adopted, what is it that allows us to have this permanent, predetermined place in God's family? Love. In love, he predestined us for adoption. And that truth alone, it really shattered. It shattered any idea of God that I had that he was merely tolerating me. He's not merely tolerating me. No, he loves me. He chose to love us. And he is love. And whenever the Bible speaks about the love that God has for us, it's always connected to the gospel. It's always connected to Jesus' sacrifice because we're united to him. We abide in him. We're one with him. And this is all according to the plan of God. This was God's plan. This is his will. When we came to Christ, we were not twisting God's arm. We weren't saying, come on, you know, just give me salvation. Stick it up, you know, I'm here. Save me. He's saying, I, I've chosen you. I, I choose to love you. And I want to adopt you. Not just save you, I want to adopt you. I want you to belong to me. And I'm going to bless you with myself. Adopted children, they have their position by grace, not birthright. Adopted children have their position by grace. J.I. Packer in Knowing God, he says, and I quote, justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. But this is not to say that justification is the highest blessing of the gospel. Adoption is higher because of the richer relationship with God that it involves. So justification takes us in the courtroom. Adoption takes us in the family room. And remember our savior Jesus, he says in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, he said, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you, sister, for you, for you. He's prepared a place for you. And the more that we gaze upon our heavenly father and allow him to define who he is, we become that restored daughter. We begin to heal. And that vertical healing, it has to take place between us and God. But then also, as I mentioned, there's a horizontal healing that has to take place between us and our parents. And often those things are happening simultaneously. In Ephesians, I mentioned briefly that ethnic hostility. You know, Paul, he talks about the fact that there was this wall of hostility keeping the Gentiles out of the temple. And he tells them that Jesus has torn that wall down, that Christ has destroyed it. And just for some context, in Jerusalem, in Herod's temple, there were four separate courts. The outermost courtyard area, the area farthest from the most holy place, that was called the court of the Gentiles. And this was the only place that Gentiles and foreigners and the impure could gather. Literally, if they went past that wall, they actually could be put to death. There was a literal wall of hostility keeping them out. But Paul tells them this wall has been torn down. Now, think about the time in which this letter was written. 
It was written in 61 AD. The the temple (laughs) still exists. The literal wall of hostility is still there. But Paul says, it's not there. Christ has torn it down. And, you know, these Gentiles, I imagine, you know, you know, saw themselves, of course, as in one sense, and even how they were treated by many Jewish believers as unworthy, maybe defiled because of their natural heritage. So what did God do? What did God do for them in this situation? God broke past that natural hostility. They could not approach the holies of holies. So God went to them. Emmanuel, God went to them. God filled them with himself. They couldn't enter the physical temple, so he made them to be a spiritual temple where he dwells in them. The unclean, the orphan, the wayward. And now they were to walk in their newfound identity as the temple of God, as the family of God. God draws near to them because he's their father and they are his children and he loves them and God draws near to us because he's our father and we're his children and he loves us. Ephesians chapter three, verse 19, it says, you know, God desires to fill us with all the fullness of himself, the fullness of himself which means that we need to know who the Father is through the Son being indwelt by the Spirit. And when we're indwelt by God, then and only then can we actually walk in a manner worthy of the calling we've received, right? That's the only way we can walk out this horizontal, victorious life that God actually has for us through the Spirit. Because when your biological father is spiritually or emotionally or physically absent, let me just be real with you. You're going to be have, you're going to have to be the mature one. You're the believer. You're going to have to be the bigger person. I know it's like, why I want someone to parent me, but you have to be the one to take the step out and say, listen, I'm the one who has the spirit. I'm filled with all the fullness of God. I'm the temple of God. And we need the spirit in order to do this. (laughs) Okay. In my book, I I walk through just some practical things that I have done and I'm still doing. I just want to share four practical things, four practical things that we can do to live victoriously and to help restore Lord willing that horizontal peace. The first one, I want to encourage you to write your story down. Be willing to do the very hard work of unearthing your story, the story that's been hibernating in your heart. Get a journal or a notebook and write it down and try to do it without judging yourself. Just get it out. And it may be helpful. It may be helpful to write a letter to your father. Now, not, you may not send this letter Your father may have passed. You may not ever be able to present this letter to him. You may not know your father to present the letter. But what do you want to tell him? What do you want to say to your earthly father? I want you to write it down. 
Or if it's more helpful, or you could do this too, is to write a letter to God. God, I want to just share with you how difficult this is. How hard it's been. This is why I asked that first question, what words come to your mind, right? When you think about your earthly father, what do you feel? Um, To help start that process. Because oftentimes we're dealing with things and we don't know that it's inside of us until we get it out. And truth is a virtue. The world just says, they say, find your inner child and pretend as though, you know, you just cling to somebody else or parent yourself, all the different things that they say. Start with being honest. Write your story down. Because only then will you know what you need to actually cast over to the Lord. And that will help fuel even your prayer life before your heavenly father. Number two, I want to encourage you to pray for your parents. I know this can be a hard one, but if your parents are alive, pray for them as often as they come to your mind. You know, as I mentioned, so many of our parents are spiritually lost. They're emotionally broken. I want you to pray that your parent, your father will model, first of all, that he will know your heavenly father but that also he would be able to model the Father in heaven. Number three, ask God to help you to forgive. Again, as I mentioned, these are things that you need the Spirit's help to do. If you're struggling with unforgiveness, a helpful place to start is Matthew 18, the parable of the unmerciful servant. The Lord has used that in my life tremendously to help us understand the extent to which we have been forgiven. We have received much forgiveness, and that will help us realize that we're just a fellow struggler. Our parents are strugglers, many broken, needy. Ask the Lord to help you to forgive. And I do want to clarify what this does not mean. This does not mean putting yourself in danger. This does not mean not having any boundaries. I think sometimes we confuse the idea of, you know, because we forgive, because we're releasing the offense that someone has done against us, that that means we need to snuggle up with the person. That does not always mean that that we have to be in close proximity, especially in a situation where it's harmful. There are times where boundaries are needed. Like, that's wise. Uh, it, It can be wise to have those boundaries. Number four, I want to encourage you to prioritize your redeemed family. Prioritize prioritize your redeemed family. Because the scripture prioritizes our redeemed family. Scripture says, who is my mother or sister or brother? Remember Jesus saying that? It was funny. He didn't say who's my father because he knew who his father was. But whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And our spiritual adoption, I think this is a piece that a lot of the times we kind of sleep on. We know that in our spiritual adoption, we have a father in God, but we forget that we have a family in the church. The church is supposed to be a family. And I know that it is unfortunate that many people, so actually so few people have experienced that. But that is actually what the scripture says. Even above our nuclear family, <laughs> we're to prioritize our, our heavenly family, our redeemed family. And, you know, I pray that you're in a helpful, healthy church situation. 
I want you to think, is there maybe even one godly person, one godly older person that I could just, you know, go to for support to say, pray for me. I, I didn't have a father growing up or maybe even an older family, maybe a husband and wife. You say, will you, will you guys just walk with me? I didn't have a father to teach me about finances. You know, I didn't have a family that I could observe what it's like to be a wife, right? I didn't see that modeled for me. Uh, so prioritize your redeemed family. And just for the sake of time, I want to give a word of application for those of you who might be here. You've had maybe a wonderful father, but you want to know how to care for the fatherless. And I just want to say that God has charged the church to help the fatherless heal. In our spiritual adoption, we have a family in the church, right? If we just keep reading Ephesians, it talks about the fact that we are members of the household of God, that we are one. And there's a reason why God calls the church to care for the fatherless, because he does. And there are many scriptures throughout the Bible that speaks of that. But even James talks about the religion that is pure, and part of that is caring for the fatherless. The Lord desires to use his church as a means of grace in the life of fatherless children to teach them what they may not have learned, to walk with them through a holistic discipleship, training them up as family, because that's what we are. Christians are family. We, have, we should have spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers and spiritual sisters and spiritual brothers that we can rely upon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, our Father, Lord, help us. Help us to see you for who you truly are. Help us, Father, to cling to you, accepting the adoption that you have given us in love. Help us to know who we are. I pray also that you would help us in our relationships with our earthly Father, Father, that you would heal the wounds that we are dealing with, Father. Help us to cling to our redeemed family to begin this process of being who you've called us to be as your daughters. We thank you, Jesus, who makes all the difference in our life. May your name be praised and may the cycle of fatherlessness be broken here today through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Gospel Coalition podcast. Check out more gospel-centered resources at thegospelcoalition.org.